for the last month called The Power of Routine. So this is week four in that series. And if you've missed the last couple of weeks, I want to put a definition on the screen. But if you've missed the last couple of weeks, we defined a routine as a sequence of actions or habits regularly followed. And so as we step into the new year, and it's time for us to build new habits and new, new things into our lives, we said a, a routine's not just one thing that you do, but it's several things. It's action steps or several habits. That's what makes up a routine. And, and so there's power in having a routine. And we talked about a few weeks ago high-achieving individuals who've been successful in the world. And, and when you interview them, most of them have some sort of daily or weekly routine that they're highly disciplined and that they follow. And so we said the same was probably true about our spiritual life. And, and so in our series summary, what we've said uh, about this whole series, if you want to be a high achiever in your spiritual life, then establishing a healthy routine of spiritual habits is essential. And so it's not one thing, there's no silver bullet, there's no magic bullet, it's not one thing. We build several things into our lives, and so we've been talking about all kinds of, of different habits, spiritual habits. These are really spiritual disciplines that you and I should be involved in. And when we started this series, we talked about habit number one, which was daily Bible intake, or reading God's Word daily. And, and so for you, that, that might mean just a few verses, or a few sentences, or a few paragraphs, or maybe it's even a few chapters but, but um, building this habit into your life of being in God's word daily. We get to know God. He reveals himself to us through his word. And one of the best ways we can get to know him is by opening up his book and reading his word. And so that was habit number one. Habit number two was daily prayer. Daily prayer, and this is communicating with God, and if you were here uh, for that message, what we talked about is, hey, communicating with God, praying to God's really pretty simple. They're, they're like all the formalities have been removed uh, out of Scripture, right? It's basically talking to God and, and listening to Him. That's really all there is to it, and so there's not like five steps to an effective prayer life. It's like just talk and then and listen, but what's amazing about it is that you and I have been invited into a communication, into a relationship with the creator of the universe. It's really not about us. It's about the invitation that's extended to us, and he calls us in. He, he wants to be with us. He wants to have relationship with us, and, and, and so we talked about daily prayer. And so those first two habits were daily, daily Bible intake and daily prayer. Last week we talked about habit number three, which was weekly worship. And so we said, hey, we don't want to forsake the gathering, which is what we're doing right now, showing up in here for worship at either 8.30 or 10.45, that God does something in us and through us when we gather together uh, corporately as a community of faith, and God does some amazing things in us and through us when we gather, and so we like to show up, and we love to sing songs and pray and, and sing in praise and, and open up his word and encourage one another um, just by showing up, and, and so we talked about that last week, is that we want you to do that weekly, that, that rather than church attendance being a coin toss, as to whether or not you woke up on Sunday morning and go, hey, I'm going to go today or I'm not going to go today, that you would make a commitment to show up weekly and not forsake the gathering. That that's a great spiritual habit to build into your routine. And today we're going to talk about, close out the series with habit number four, 
And habit number four is weekly community. Weekly community, being in community, doing life together with others who are believers so that we surround ourselves with people who will encourage us. And so weekly community is what we're talking about today. Now, let me begin here. How many of you have heard of a man named Robert Putnam? Uh, Wrote a book called Bowling Alone. Anybody seen that book? I want to put a couple of quotes of his up on the slide. Robert Putnam wrote a book called Bowling Alone. He is the professor of public policy at Harvard University. He's not necessarily a Christ follower. This book wasn't written from a Christian worldview. But he makes this observation about our society. And this book was written about a decade ago. Fantastic book. I highly recommend it. Robert Putnam called Bowling Alone. The first quote is this. Here's what he said. He said, the greatest epidemic in American culture is not disease, it's loneliness. The greatest epidemic in American culture is not disease. The thing that's dragging us down isn't disease, it's not the dreaded C word, it's not cancer, it's loneliness. And then he goes on to expound in another quote here, and he says, Our new technology has made communication a lot easier, but it's made meaningful connections more rare. And in this book, he goes on to to coin a phrase called crowded isolation. Isn't that an interesting term? Crowded isolation. Let let me tell you how this fleshes itself out. Um, I like to take an annual, or I get the opportunity to take an annual guys trip to Colorado every summer and play golf with some of my buddies. And a couple of years ago, uh, I always fly into the Denver International Airport. And a couple of years ago, uh, our buddy who lives in Denver wasn't able to come pick us up at the airport. And he said, hey man, you could really do me a favor, save me a whole lot of time. Will you guys take the metro train that runs from uh, the airport uh, into town, and then when I get off work, I can just run down to the the rail station here in town and pick you up, right? And and so Kansas City, it doesn't have a a rail system, right? Uh, And and so so I land at the airport. I've got my bags. I I make my way down. This is not the tram that takes you, like, between terminals. This is, like, it's going to take you into the city. And and so I find my way to the the train, and I get on the train, and I walk in, and the train cars aren't very big, maybe as long as a couple of these pews here. And and I walk in, drag my bag, and and I sit down, take a seat, and the train takes off. And I, I glance up, and I look around, and everybody, there's probably 20 or 25 people in this rail car, everybody has their headphones in, their little AirPods, little earbuds. A couple of guys had the big old honker DJ headphones on. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody still own a pair of those that are like this big around? Yes, Tyler, I knew you would. You're an audiophile. They're probably really nice headphones. Um, and, 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 so, and so everyone's got their headphones in, and they've got their iPad or their book or their phone out, and so we're crowded in this train, and yet, we're isolated. Like we're all together, but we're not together. Like, like everybody's alone. This is what crowded isolation is. And you can't take the tram here in Lawrence, right? Uh, you, you might take public transportation. This might happen on buses here. I don't know. I haven't taken it. But next time you go out to eat, just take a look around the restaurant. 
Next time you go, maybe on Valentine's night, you're taking your wife or whatever out to eat, go out to eat and then lift your head and kind of look around the restaurant and see how many people, husbands and wives, sitting across from each other in booths, both have their heads buried in their phones doing this. It's crowded isolation. It's an epidemic. And so here's the deal. You and I were created to live in isolation. You and I were created to be in community. In fact, when you think about it, uh, the God that we worship here at River City Church, we believe in a triune God. He's one God in three distinct persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God himself is in community. And he leads by example. When you open up God's word and you begin at the beginning, just past the table of contents, and you get to Genesis chapter 1 and you read about the creation that happens in the first seven days, we read that God creates multiples of everything, like all kinds of stars and planets and sets the constellations in place and all kinds of plants and, and animals and, and, and just all kinds of stuff. And then he creates one man. And then what does it say about it? That it wasn't good. And so God looks up and he goes, there's one man. And that's not good that man's alone. In other words, it's not good that he's isolated. And so he creates for him, and I, I love this. This is an affectionate term. I refer to Wendy using this term all the time. God creates a helper suitable. In the original language, it's Ezer Konegdo. It's a sweet word, isn't it, honey? Husbands, never call your wife your Ezer Konegdo. And so God creates a helper suitable for Adam because it's not good for man to be alone. We weren't created to be isolated. We were created for community. There's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity. We weren't meant to do this thing, living out our faith all by ourselves. And so the big idea of today's message is this, is I want you to be able to find community so that you can experience spiritual transformation that leads to multiplication. I don't want this from you. I want it for you. I want you to be able to find weekly community so that it leads to some spiritual transformation in your life that ultimately leads to kingdom multiplication. That's what we're going to talk about today. And the good news is, is we have a passage of Scripture that's set up pretty well for us in Acts chapter 2. And so if you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2. That's kind of where we're going to camp out this morning. You can use your phone, your iPad, grab a Bible in the pew uh, right there in front of you. Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. And there's a set of verses that happen here in Acts chapter 2, which is pretty interesting because in Acts chapter 1, this is the end of the Gospels. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts. And immediately following that, Jesus in chapter 1, what, what does he say? Does anybody remember this? this is not rhetorical. What does he, he gives a command to his disciples and he says what? Yeah, go. Go where? In essence, go into all the world and do what? Yeah, and so you're going to be my witnesses unto the end of the earth. And then the next thing that Jesus says as a setup for this is he says, you're going to need some help doing this. You're going to need some power. You're not going to be able to do this all by yourself. And so I'm going to send you a helper. Again, we see community. You're not by yourself. 
I'm going to send you a helper, someone to go with you. And he says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And then we get to Acts chapter 2, and then things get wickedly weird. If you're familiar with the passage, it's Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes down, and there's dancing tongues of fire and all kinds of stuff that happens in there. And weird things happen. People who speak German and French and Spanish and Malaysia, all of a sudden they understand one another. It's like weird things are happening here. And when the Holy Spirit descends and the believers who are gathered there are filled with the Holy Spirit, the gospel begins to explode. And so we have a record of that, and that's what we're about to read. Here's what happens. This is the first church. This is the first set of Christians. It starts with 120 people who are followers of the way. And so we're going to get a little bit of insight into what happened in their lives. It's Acts chapter 2. Let's read verses 42 through 47. You can follow along on the screen with me. It says, here's what these early Christians did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Some really interesting stuff that we read right here. There's a lot that's packed into these six, seven verses that are listed here. And there's some things that we can learn from this passage. Primarily, what did they devote themselves to? What did they commit themselves to that results in the fact that you and I are seated here in this worship center in Lawrence, Kansas, some 2,000 years later? Because this is the start that we just read about. This is the first church, the gathering of people are happening right here, and you and I are still here 2,000 years later, so there's some really great stuff we can learn. In in verse 42, it says they devoted themselves, they committed themselves to some things, and so there's four things that I want to share with you that we see in verse 42 of what they committed themselves to. The first thing that they committed themselves to was the apostles' teaching, the apostles' teaching. Do you read that there in verse 42? They committed themselves to the apostles' teaching. So you got to ask yourself, well, what were the apostles' teaching? Well, primarily two things, okay? The, the first is this. They only had the Old Testament. They didn't have the entire Bible as you and I have the entire Bible. The New Testament wasn't written yet. And so all they had from a scripture perspective that they could teach from would have been the Old Testament. And, and, and so to the Jewish people who followed the Old Testament, well, what the, these apostles would have been teaching them uh, using the Old Testament is saying, let's open up that Old Testament and see how it points to Jesus. In fact, this Messiah that we've been waiting on, and we look through the scriptures and we look at the prophecies and everything else, and we've been waiting on this Messiah, we're going to tell you that he's here. He's come. In fact, we put him to death, and, and, and he's been resurrected, and he ascended into heaven, but that Messiah is, is come. And so they had the Old Testament. that They would have been teaching the Jewish people that the Messiah had come. 
The other thing that they had is just their testimony. What they could testify to. Basically, the first four books of the New Testament, right? Because what are the Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's just a written down testimony of what they had seen and heard the years they were with Jesus. And so even though it wasn't written down, they, they did tell everybody and testify all the things that you read about in the Gospels. And they did this with both Jews and Gentiles, or, or believers and non-believers. And they would say, hey, we spent all this time with Jesus, and he was amazing. There was this one time, we were on a boat, and it got really scary. And there was a storm, and he just walked out, and he told the wind to stop. And it did. And then we journeyed to this other town, and when we got to the gate outside, there was a lame man that was there, and Jesus just told that guy to get up and start walking, and he did. We encountered blind people, and he spit in the ground and made some mud and put it on this guy's eyes, and all of a sudden he could see. I mean, they just began to testify to others of everything that they had observed and witnessed. And saw in the years that they spent with Jesus, this is what they were teaching. So they devoted themselves, they committed themselves to God's word and to the apostles' teaching. Here's the second thing they committed themselves to. They committed themselves to the fellowship. To the fellowship. Well, this is a good church word, isn't it? We like to use that word fellowship. Lots of churches have fellowship halls, right? Or we might say, hey, stay after church, we're going to have an after church fellowship down in the gym. Or, hey, we're going to have food truck Sunday and we're going to be out on the lawn, so let's go fellowship together. Well, well, so when we use that word, it's not the same word that's being implied here by Luke in the book of Acts, okay? When you and I use that word, what do we mean? We really mean like hanging out. Like we're just going to fellowship. Like we're just going to hang out with one another. The word means that, but it really comes from the Greek word koinonia. And that word means hanging out, okay? It does mean that. It means fellowship and hanging out. But, but our fellowship, our hanging out time is centered on Jesus. And, and so here, here's what this means. There's nothing wrong with hanging out, okay? So if you're planning on having a Super Bowl party next week and hanging out, don't cancel it. It's cool to hang out. But, but, but when they committed themselves to fellowship, what it meant was anytime they hung out like that, sooner or later, the conversation ended up about Jesus. And so somebody turns to another person and says, hey, what's God doing in your life? Let's talk about Jesus for a minute, man. What's he up to in in your life? What, 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 What has he done for you? How are you growing in your faith? How are you Growing in him like there's an element of the fellowship, an element of the conversation that's now centered on Jesus. So, so it is hanging out, but, but it's hanging out centered on Jesus. Here's the third thing they committed themselves to. They committed themselves to the breaking of bread. This is not complicated. Uh, this is manifests itself in two ways. They just ate dinner together a lot. Right? I mean, th- this is literally what it means. It's like, hey, you come over to my house. I don't know how it went down. It's like, hey, I'll bring the fatted calf. I'll bring the wine. You bring the bread. I don't know if it was all potluck. Maybe that's where churches get the potluck thing from. I don't know how they did it. I just know that they ate together. And here's what you should know culturally is they didn't sit at tables like you and I sit at tables. And they didn't rush in and out like they're preparing all their food. Like they may be roasting 
an animal all day long, okay? And then tables were like maybe a foot off the ground, and, and they would sit. Actually, they would recline, almost lay down at the table. And these dinners would take hours. They hung out and broke bread together. And the second thing it implies is in the early church is that they had communion with one another. And they didn't do communion like you and I do communion where we do it at the gathering here. Like they just did it anytime they broke bread and had dinner with one another. And so if that was three or four times a week, then they had communion three or four times a week. Because like bread and wine were just staples, you know, of the diet. They just shared communion all the time. They committed themselves to eating together and practicing the sacrament of communion together. And here's the fourth thing that we see in verse 42. They committed themselves to the prayers. And so we know as we just read through the book of Acts, we just read testimonies of how they gathered together and they prayed together for boldness and to encourage one another. And so we know that they prayed corporately with one another. We can assume that they probably prayed individually with one another as well. But they committed themselves to prayer, both together and individually. And and these things, practicing these things, practicing um, being in God's Word and fellowship and breaking bread and prayer resulted in three things that I want to share with you, okay? So they committed themselves, they devoted themselves to this spiritual routine. Let's open God's Word. Let's hang out and talk about Jesus. Let's eat. Let's pray. And when they did these things, when they practiced that routine, three things, at least that we know of, happened. Here's the first thing that their commitment to community resulted in. It resulted in mutual care. Resulted in mutual care. They cared for one another. Look at these verses here. 44 and 45, it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Okay, nobody freak out. Don't go home and sell your house, okay? You don't need to go home and sell all your possessions and then bring them here to church. That is not what this means. Luke, who wrote this, is He's being descriptive, not prescriptive. You understand the difference? He's not prescribing something for us to do here necessarily. These things, word for word, he's describing for us what it was like in this early church. And so just to give you a little bit of background, what happens in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit comes down is they're in Jerusalem and this week-long feast has been happening and all these people who are from um, uh, other towns and cities, have traveled, some of them long distances, to come to Jerusalem. And there's no hotels, and, and so they stay with other people. Uh, they just stay, with, I mean, it'd just be like if some big festival what was here in Lawrence, like Busker Fest, man. Everybody comes in for Busker Fest, and so they're just going to stay at your house, man. Like that, there was no hotels for people to check into. They, they would stay with other people. And so because this festival has been happening in Jerusalem and when the Holy Spirit comes down and all of a sudden these believers just start uh, developing this sense of community and expanding, it is very natural for them to go, you know what, I kind of like it here. I don't really want to go back home. 
Like, I feel like if I leave right now, like, there were all these dancing flaming tongues of fire and all of a sudden I could understand the Spanish speakers and the French speakers and this is really bizarre and really fun and we're loving one another. Like, I don't really want to go back home. And so, because of that, what they needed to do was sell some of their stuff to support those that were deciding to stay. Does that make sense? So so this is a description of what's happening. But I still think, for you and I, what it means is we're designed to care for one another. That that's a natural byproduct of being in community. And how it manifests itself for us as we are in some sort of group or doing community with others um, here at River City or, or just in your homes, in your neighborhoods, doing life with other Christ followers, how that manifests itself is all of a sudden we have this group of people that can celebrate life's highs with us. And so when you get a job promotion, there's people that are there to go, hey man, let's celebrate. Congratulations. You got the promotion. That's awesome. When, when, um, uh, when they're expecting a child, then, then maybe that group of people says, hey, I know what, let's do a, a baby shower, and then when the baby comes, we'll set up some meal delivery and the meal chain and all this kind of stuff, or, or, or maybe you, you, you're retiring, and so you've got this group of people you're doing life with, you're committed to doing life with, and, and breaking bread and praying with and fellowshipping with and, and opening God's word with, and, and, and you've got this milestone in your life, your 50th anniversary to celebrate, or Again, retirement, like people around you, we love that. And then the converse is also true, right? It's not there to just celebrate, but when tragedy happens. Because you know that, that saying, what, what's been said is that you're either what, coming out of a tragedy, currently in one, or heading toward one. And so when we see this play out in the church, oftentimes it's when all of a sudden we're going through some trial or tribulation, we've lost a job. And so we have a community that that we can lean into and get some support from. Something tragic happens and we lose a a loved one or we endure a a fractured relationship and and, and marriage and we want a group of people that we can lean into. This is how we mutually care for one another. And let me tell you why this is so important, okay? I just need to be gut level honest with you. Is that in my last 20 years of ministry, I can't tell you how many times, even the two, two years that I've been here, I just can't tell you how many times someone who calls River City Church their home church will call the office and they're going through some sort of trial or some sort of tragedy and they're reaching out to a pastor, either me or, or Larry or Doug or someone else on our staff. And, and what they really want and what they recognize is that they don't have a community. Because there's no one else to turn to. Because they haven't been doing life with others in any kind of group. And so tragedy strikes, and then they call the office. And so can I just, I mean, some of you might not like this. You might think this makes me sound like an idiot. But, but I cannot, I can care about you, but I cannot care for all of you. I can't do it. There's like 250 some odd families that make up of our, our church. And so do that math. That, that includes some single people and then some people who have 18 kids, right? And so 
And so when you do that math, it's like eight or 900 people. And so I can care about everybody, but I can't care for you all. Do you know where that care should happen? In a group. And it doesn't happen here. This isn't community. What you're doing right now is not community. It's worshiping. It's sitting under teaching. We're not breaking bread with one another. We're not praying prayers. We're not really fellowshipping and hanging out. This is one-way communication. And, and I've got to tell you that because so many of you who are seated in here, if you don't get in community, one day you're going to call, and maybe I'm busy. Maybe I'm out of town. Maybe Larry's out of town. Maybe, maybe someone can't come to your rescue. And even if we show up and we hold your hand and we pray a prayer, which we can do those things, it's not community. It's not really care. It's me caring about you and not caring for you. And I want you to be cared for. And so we learn this from the early church. If we practice these disciplines, a natural result of committing to these disciplines is care. It's care for one another. Here's the second thing, is unity. It's unity. Their their commitment to one another, their commitment to community resulted in unity. Okay, let's look at this. If you flip the page and go to Acts chapter 4, look at Acts chapter 4, verse 32. It says, now the full number of those who believed were, what, of one heart and soul. And so what begins in Acts chapter 2 is we're all gathered here. The Holy Spirit descends. Some of you don't want to go back home. Hey, let's sell our land and our houses and our camels and donkeys or whatever and pitch in the money to take care of one another. All of a sudden, you know what it does? It knits their hearts together. And they become in one and heart and soul. And so a natural byproduct of community is not only mutual care, but it's Unity, when you practice these disciplines of, of God's word and fellowship and breaking the bread and, and prayer, God begins to knit our hearts together. Now, this is not a call to like dress the same. Okay, this is not a call to act the same, to think the same things, right? We all drink the Kool-Aid together and that there's no room for any kind of different thoughts or anything. This is not what this is about. We are all different, okay? Here's my guess. It's an election year. Come November, I bet we all don't vote for the same person. It's absolutely okay for us to be different. Here's what's not okay, to be divided. At the end of the day, even though you and I may think different things and see things differently, that's absolutely okay. What's not okay is for us to have a fractured relationship because of those things, because you and I should be knitted together, built on a foundation and a fellowship in Jesus. This is important for us to talk about. I mean, it's happened in this church. This is how it, it plays out, like in In the history of lots of churches, and this one's been around for a long time, 148 years this year, churches go through what we call in the church world, if you're new to the church uh, thing at all, uh, churches have periodically, not all, but some are what are called church splits. And they divide over issues. And do you know what happens 99 times out of 100? Those splits aren't based on anything like doctrinal 
or important. They're about dumb things. Like the color of the carpet in the sanctuary. (laughs) I wanted pink. I wanted green. Well, we went with green and then all the pinks leave. I mean, I'm making light of it, but seriously, y'all. Like stuff like that happens. We compromise. We went pink and green and gray. <laughs> I'm kidding. So our call to practice these spiritual disciplines results in unity. There's no room in the kingdom for you and I to be divided. It can be different, but we have to be unified. Okay, and then here's the third thing that we see. The third thing that we see here that their commitment to community led to was missional living. So look at this text. It's Acts uh, chapter 42. I think it's verses 46 and 47. You got that slide? Here we go. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Now, here's what you need to know. This phrase, when it says all the people, doesn't mean all the people in their circle. Not, not, not the people that were selling everything and, and coming together, not the believers. They were finding favor with those outside of their community. The, those in the community that, that were far from Christ. They were finding favor with them. And as a result of that, what was happening was is those people were saying, hey, I want what you've got. And they're saying, well, we're just followers of the way, and so we follow this guy named Jesus, who is this Jewish Messiah, come, and so let us tell you about him. And they're like, we want to end on that action. Whatever it is you guys are doing, we want to be a part of that. And so ultimately, being in community with one another is an example to the world how we treat one another, and ultimately, as we said last week, people will begin to notice in your life that you live your life a little bit differently. If you dare, live differently. When it's Thursday night, your kids are like, hey man, I want to be on the t-ball team, and I want to be on the soccer team, and I want to do dance, and you go, we can't, because Thursday nights we're committed to community. Like, you have to be disciplined about these things. It just doesn't happen organically. You've got to schedule it. It's a routine. And so when you commit yourself to these things and people begin to observe that you live your life differently, people say, hey, what is, what's going on? Like, what do you guys do at your house Thursday nights? I notice all the cars are parked out there. What's happening? Hey, you know what? You should just come over for dinner on Thursday night. You should just hang out with us. It's fellowship. Well, ultimately, we experience community because we're all sent on mission. Right? These verses here are just a microcosm of our gather, grow, and go strategy that, that we shared. If you remember, we did a rebrand series back in August, and we talked about our new mission here was to help people find and follow Jesus. And our strategy, what we wanted for, not from, for everybody who is a member and regular attender of River City is we want you to gather regularly for worship. We want you to grow in your relationship with God and with others. That's what we're talking about today, being in community, so that ultimately we can go on mission, both locally and globally. That's what these verses are about. 
But when you're in that grow category and when you're doing community and you're doing life and breaking bread and praying and fellowship and all those things, you know what that makes you? It makes you a disciple. No such thing as a disciple who is not part of community. Not possible. You don't do life alone. That's not a disciple. A disciple has to be in community because it implies that there's followers. And so if you're a disciple and you're in community, ultimately it leads to you, hopefully, making other disciples. So we want to be disciples who make disciples. And that happens within the context of community. It's all about helping others find and follow Jesus. And so let me just land the plane. Will you take the next step? Will you take the next step? Like I, I know the math. I know what the numbers are. I know how many of you approximately percentage-wise are not doing community, not doing life with others. And, and like maybe a third of us, and that's being generous, in this room are doing life with other believers to be able to put these things into practice and then get the benefits or the results, the mutual care, the unity. So here's your next step. If you're at River City, this is your home church, and you don't have community, I want to encourage you to just show up and go to a connect group next Sunday. Like that is your next step. That is the easiest thing to do is just show up at 930. We provide the opportunity for you. We provide the room. There's coffee uh, already uh, out there at 930. If you've got kids, we take care of your kids. We've made it as simple as we can. And so it starts there. That's where you begin to connect and kind of meet other people in the same stage in life. And then ultimately from there, then hopefully community blossoms and develops. But your next step here would be to join a connect group. And so if you're here today, I just can't encourage you enough. If you're not doing community with another group of people, will you take that step? Will you come to connect group next Sunday and learn what it means to be in true community, to care, to experience unity, and to go on mission together? Amen? Amen. Hey, before we dismiss, I, I want to share just a couple of things with you. One is, uh, next week I begin a brand new series called Till Death Do Us Part. And, and so this is a, a, a series taking a look at marriage and relationships, okay? Not just marriage. And as I teased last week, this is in the, the series, like, if you're single or widowed or whatever, just don't, don't take February off, Okay? Uh, there's going to be something for everybody. And so we're going to open up God's Word and we're going to take a look at at marriage and relationships in general. And I'd love for you to invite somebody. And so what we've done is we've generated these little business cards here. They've got the graphic, the kind of the logo on the front, and then the backside just have a little information about our church. And so would you take uh, one or two or ten, pick these up at the tables that are out here in the lobby, and maybe invite somebody Uh, to come with you. Everybody, I don't care who you are, bad marriage, good marriage, good relationships, uh, history of bad relationships in the past, it doesn't matter. We all need to get better at at our relationships. And so we're going to do that and take a look at what God has to say about that 
beginning next Sunday in this series, Till Death Do Us Part. And then tonight, at 5 o'clock, right here in the Worship Center, is our celebration meeting. Uh, For lack of a better word, this is kind of like our business meeting, kind of like our annual uh, meeting. And so tonight, we're going to take a look at what God did in you and through you, your generosity in the year 2019. And and so we'll take a look at at, at all of our our income and our, our budget and how we did and uh, how, how we planned and how we ended up and uh, look at some other numbers. We've got some stuff to celebrate in that regard. We'll preview 2020's budget. We'll install some new ministry board members. I mean, it's going to be a great night. Uh, and so I hope you'll be here. I think we've got child care for five and under or something like that. And so we'll be right in here at five o'clock tonight. I'm going to keep that right at an hour, but we've got a lot to celebrate. So hope to see you there. Hey, would you stand with me this morning before we dismiss Let me leave you with this word. May the grace of God the Father, may the love of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all till we see each other again. Amen. You are dismissed.